Can you imagine uh, growing up with Jesus? I mean, it must have been tough for Brother James living in that household. How would you like to try to daily live up to your brother, Jesus Christ? Parents, grandparents, teachers, aunts and uncles, they just couldn't help themselves, I suppose, at times and would say, well, you know, your brother Jesus never acted like that. Or, or well, Jesus didn't have to stay after school. Or, uh, you know, I don't have to tell Jesus twice to clean his room. Well, Jesus was down by the lake all day, too, and he didn't get his clothes wet. You got to think about that one, right? Except maybe a little on the bottom of his sandals. See, our message today, as we were in the Gospel of Luke, is, is about growing up. And now, while Jesus was a special kid, graced by God, he was born, he was circumcised when he was eight days old, and he still had to grow up like the rest of us. And it's a hard to comprehend how he could be fully human and fully God. But yet you can trace this through Luke's gospel, and different stages, in fact, have different words are used as you walk through the book of, of, of Luke. He is a newborn child that receives the name Jesus, and then a little bit later he is the child Jesus brought into the temple, and then in today's message, Mother Mary says he is the boy Jesus, and then we get to the end of our text in Luke chapter 2 and verse 52, and it says simply, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, and there's no other qualifiers around His name. And the Bible, though, makes it clear that Jesus had to learn like the rest of us. I think of a passage like Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8 that says, Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And it's a little hard for us to wrap our minds around that developmental process as it is hard to both see him as a child and then growing up as a normal child would. And it's no wonder that there were ancient books that were written about his childhood. Now, they don't, didn't make it into our Bible, okay? And probably for good reason. Thomas, the gospel of the infancy of Jesus Christ, has stories about when, which, uh, where Jesus is uh, fixing a stream of water that was running over its banks. And then he takes some clay after he fixed that stream, and he forms it into 12 sparrows. In other words, there are stories about Jesus' early life. Of course, it didn't make it into our Scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But this morning, I want us to think about this fact that there were three times a year that the Jewish men, the whole family, if they could afford it, would make their way to Jerusalem. And that's what's in our text. And these three uh, times of year, the Feast of uh, Tabernacles, the Pe Pentecost, and the Passover. And if you could only go on one trip a year, you'd make it the Passover feast. 
And it was generally a three to four day event there in Jerusalem. Well, according to our text, they all go up to the Passover feast, and then after the feast, they're heading home, and since the family likely traveled in a caravan with aunts and uncles and cousins, and Jesus was about 12 at that time and was fairly independent, He was not immediately missed. Now, a good way to think about the timeline of this story is this, that that we're at the end of the feast, and so now the family makes, leaves Jerusalem to head home. And they would have covered about 20 or 25 miles in that day. And it's at nightfall, after that first day heading home, that they're looking for Jesus and He's nowhere to be found. And that's when panic sets in. Well, now, day two, the family makes an all-day trip back to Jerusalem uphill. And again, it's nightfall. So then on day three, they get up early, frantically looking for the boy. And now most of us in this assembly know the story. They find him among the Jewish scholars, the professors. He's not a teacher at that point, as some have interpreted. He is simply a terrific learner. His attention to learning is profound. He knows how to listen, how to ask questions, how to relate to these adults, how to draw out his teachers, and his manner as a student prodigy is so profound that Luke offers the word, I don't know if you noticed it as we went through the text the first time, that we looked at last week, I want to put that text up there, verse 47, everyone who heard him, remember last week, was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, while everyone was in the temple was blown away, his mother was also astonished, but she had a bit of a different perspective. And you can read that in the text. We do not have to do much reading between the lines to see that from the perspective of Mary and Joseph, they were afraid and they were frustrated with their boy. Parents, Two long travel days and a couple of sleepless nights up to this point. Go ahead and play the video, Brian. Driving an imaginary car for a long time, isn't he? (laughs) Also found out when Jesus was 12 years old, Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. They lost Jesus. And you know the first thing they had to do was pray. I wonder what that prayer must have sounded like. Joseph probably did the prayer. He was like, oh... God. (laughs) Dear God, um, oh, forgiving God. Um, You remember that Messiah you gave us? You got another one somewhere, man? We don't... 
That was the only begotten son? Okay, we're going to find him. We're going to find him. <laughs> All right. Who wants to be the one to lose the future Messiah? And so they're direct in rebuking the boy. Let's look again at the text, Luke chapter 2 and verse 48. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. That word son is what used for a preteen boy. All of us who are parents. <laughs> might understand these experiences. Now, in the Hebrew culture, one passes into full-fledged adulthood at 13 years old, where one is expected to know and live by the law, by that Old Testament Scripture. So, Jesus is almost there. Clearly, He's growing up quickly. He's getting ready. And for those of us, again, who our parents or grandparents, we might remember Jeremy's illustration of the marbles to illustrate growth and the days pass quickly and they stretch into years. And we might say that the major point of this whole section of Scripture is about growth. Jesus grew. We can grow. Without growth, we're dying. Listen again to the text from two different angles. 39 and 40 begins our text, and it actually preceded the section that Lizzie read. It says, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. And he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Then we have this story of the caravan making its way to Jerusalem. So now look at the other side of that text after the, as we see this maturation process for both children and parents in verses 49 and, uh, or 52. And the text ends with this, and you can see the clear point that Luke is trying to make about how Jesus was growing. He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. These verses capture this maturation process, but there are insights there for our growth as children, as teens, as preteens, as parents, as grandparents, for all of us. Jesus then rattles back a response to His mom, and this is in verses 49 and 50, and the text says this, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And then verse 50 is so interesting. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. He conveys both this stunning insight and then possibly a very naive perspective of a 12-year-old, because <laughs> what mother wouldn't worry? And when Jesus says, why are you searching for me? This sounds like a conversation that has happened about 55 million times between parents and preteens and teens. Why do you think I'm searching for you? Are you kidding? Don't, don't you know what could have happened to you? 
So they head home again together. And this time Jesus goes with them. And there's very interesting, if we note verse 51, the text says this, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. He obeyed his parents. And I can picture Luke interviewing Mary many years later as he is going to write his gospel. And he senses the fullness of her heart and her soul as she retells this deeply moving and amusing and insightful story. What a kid he was. What a Messiah he becomes. I want to give us three takeaways this morning. The first one is this, here on Dad's Day, Father's Day, message to parents. It's so clear from this passage that the process of growing up is divinely orchestrated. That is unmistakable in Luke's telling of the story for the Messiah. But I want to suggest for each one of us. God's favor begins the passage. God's favor ends the passage. And at the same time as God, God is working all this, the parents' role cannot be overstated. Jesus' parents provide a learning environment. Let me give you this way of thinking about it. Clearly, His learning at home for those 12 years prepared Jesus to ask the insightful questions that He does at the temple. His ability, his capacity to ask the questions at the temple didn't come out of nowhere. It came because he was being trained and brought up in a household where he would be able to ask those questions when he got there, even beyond the capacity of his mother to understand. And you know what? This has been true for the Jewish people throughout their history. This is one of the great, great values of generation and generations of Jewish culture, is that they see their home environment as a place to maximize learning. Think of Deuteronomy 6. Think of when you get up in the morning and when you go to bed at night. It's just off the chart. And it's not limited to simply knowledge and skills, but it is moral and it is about character and it's about learning through hardship and suffering and community and, and, and spiritual learning. Here's my point. Leave it as a question for you this morning. Are you creating environments Parents, 
and those of us who are working with really any, discipling anyone, which foster learning. Second point, I'll make this one to the kids and the teens and then to all of us. We all have someone to answer to, a boss, a spouse, a teacher, a law officer, a judge. In this case, Jesus has established in His mind who He answers to. I think it was maybe a relatively new discovery for Him to state it because it catches His mother off guard and she doesn't actually even understand it. But He answers to His Father, God. He describes it as, I have to be in my Father's house, more literally, do my Father's business. And yet I want us to see at the same time that He obeys His parents in that. It's Father God, parents, Father God, parents. And I want to frame it this way. Are you learning to submit to your inferiors? Not just your superiors. But I want to turn it around a bit. And what I mean by that is that frustrating older cousin, that boring preacher, that quirky ministry leader, that elder. And at this point in your life, you're thinking, I know better than they. But, our text says, you're called to submit and obey, just as Jesus continued to obey His parents while answering to His Father. Number three, this is for all of us. Jesus goes to the temple. He is engrossed in what is going on there with the teachers and the professors and learning about the Word of God. He's at home there. As I said, he called it his father's house or his father's business. You can see this loyalty shift, not simply to his parents, but to his father. And he's figuring this out. And this theme on who you answer to comes out in the Gospel of Luke frequently. You remember when he's healing people? And all the, crowd, the crowds are coming? And then he says, I'm not going to do that right now. I'm going to get away to be with my father. Then later in the Gospel of Luke, his parents and his brothers and sisters, sisters think he's gone a little off the rails. And they come to get him. And he says, who are my brothers and sisters? Aren't they who do the will of the Father? Those are my brothers and sisters. Then in Luke chapter 14, he says that it, he makes it open to all of us. If anyone wants to come after me, he must hate Hate, father, mother, sister, brother. There's allegiance and a loyalty and a cost of being 
a follower that even means hating, Ah, maybe relatively speaking, father and mother. See, again and again, we have to decide who we answer to. God or other people, often good people. The picture I get in this growing process is one like this. As you're growing up, as a child is growing up, there's, they're, like, they're like many ways that they are plugged into their parent. There's a connection there, almost like the umbilical cord it stays connected in a lot of ways, and they're being nurtured and nourished. But over time, that unplugging has to take place. And, and, but, but, but I think to leave it at that is, 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 is to miss what God intends. When we unplug, we replug into God as Father. So one of the greatest questions in life is, are you learning to handle the tension between your responsibilities to others and your responsibility to God? Are you learning to answer to your Father God first rather than to other people? A lot of lessons in this little passage, aren't there? Let me remind us of the three questions, and we're finished, finished today. Are you creating environments which promote learning? Are you learning to submit to your inferiors? Are you learning to answer to God first rather than to people? The word of the Lord.